0: Back, we're back with Andre. Hey guys, what's up? We like you so much. We're having you back a lot. He's oh, becoming thanks. like the third podcaster on this podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad at that.
1: I wouldn't be mad at that either. That. I love. It. Yeah. I love it when you guys have me over.
0: It's, it's it's totally fun. And then today we finally worked out. <laughs> it took us a couple of podcasts, guys. We finally worked out how to do the audio so that that Andre doesn't sound like he's in Eastern Jesus.
2: So. <laughs> That
0: was yeah. our bad. He's Con- highly qualified.
1: Yeah. So. Contrary to the, the audio quality, I'm not actually in the room with you guys, <laughs> but we're making it sound that way.
0: <laughs> I think today we will. I think uh, between Ian's skills and your skills, we're going to make this work. It's going to sound bomb. Yeah. Today we're talking about something that's kind of close to your heart mm-hmm. and that I'm a fan of because you're a composer. Yep. We're going to be talking about the best TV and film scores. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. Ian, are you going to say anything? We're going to like you're not here.
2: Yeah, I am. Just I'm just making sure my levels are good. Okay, <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay, let's lead us off. Like, where do we want to head with this conversation? Where Where does your passion lie with this?
1: Well, I mean, film scoring for me has always been like the number one goal in terms of like a career like for the longest as long as i can remember i've always wanted to do film scoring it's always been like an unwavering sort of passion in mine and it sort of originated in like the weirdest of all places but well actually not that weird but i remember seeing the third i'm pretty sure it was the third pirates of the caribbean back in like 2007 or something i don't remember when it came out and i remember at the end I just immediately decided right then and there that I wanted to do film scoring. Really? Because, yeah, because that movie for me and the score was like just like hugely transformational and it was all that I could listen to for, for a while. And, you know, ever since then, that was also around the time where I started writing my own stuff. Uh, you know, I was in sixth, seventh grade or something. I had a really, I found this like free notation software <laughs> online until I could scrape up enough money to get some actual, you know, real equipment. Um, but yeah, and now I go to college for composing. Um, we don't necessarily have a film scoring program. I'm learning sort of the more classical side of things, uh, which is nice. You know, it's always nice to get a good classical education for music, especially when you want to do something like film composition. Um, but yeah, well, I want to know, Lisa, what are your, some of your favorite, let's say, let's just start out with TV scores.
0: Well, I'm just trying to take in the fact that you're in the sixth grade, you go see this movie and then you're like, I'm going to be a composer. (laughs) I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck. I want to be in life. I mean, I've always gone back to writing because writing Uh is what I know to do because I'm a Southerner and a natural bullshitter, so I can bullshit all day long. What do you want me to bullshit about, right? That's what writing is to me, is just making up stories. Yeah, I'm just kind of impressed that you knew out of the, the gate and then listening to your compositions, you're actually really good at it. It's like... Unfortunately, a lot of people have these loves and passions and then they, you know, they send you their script or their mm-hmm. their band and you're like, "Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. How do I tell them?" And then I don't. I never tell them. I never tell them that you're wasting your time.
2: <laughs> it's like, <laughs> "Listen to my mixtape, man." Oh, dude, and you
0: like, or like the thing that you get in LA a lot when I first moved here, especially is like, "Come see my band." And then yeah. there you are. It's just you and the friend that you brought in an empty bar yeah. on a Tuesday night at like 5. Woo. <laughs> It's
2: like Echo Park or something like that.
0: It's it's some shitty dive C- bar. You got it
2: somewhere in Cerritos, never a
0: popular bar. It's a bar that doubles to something else. So, and then I was listening to your music. So, I just want to say, not for nothing, go and listen to it. We're going to put links in. I'm going to prop them at the end. Go listen to uh, Andres' music because he's a real deal. Favorite film scores. I, you know, I was. I'll tell you where I became aware of film scores. Mm-hmm. Odd, oddest place in the world that I discovered them. Um, is originally in Woody Allen films. I didn't really think that, I didn't think about them because I, I guess I watched a bunch of just garbage that <laughs> that didn't really pay attention to music and Woody Allen definitely, you know, again, whatever you think of him, I understand he's a pedophile and he's garbage and we should throw him in, in the sea. But I'm going back, back before we knew what a piece of shit he was, mm-hmm. back in like, this is like the 70s, 80s, He made me aware of film scoring and he was putting like Gershwin in and he was because he's a a guy who, yeah, he loves these scores. And I was aware of Gershwin because I was in band in high school. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about putting it in a modern film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he made me aware of it. And I, I started seeking out where do you buy the music to Annie Hall? I didn't even know that it was called the a score or a mm-hmm. soundtrack and people would be in like record stores. Like, this is in the deep South going, what for? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, Totally.
0: So it was, it was something like that. And then I remember becoming like score obsessed with star Wars. I bought mm-hmm. John Williams, you know, the, the double album. And then there was this little strange rock opera called Tommy uh, by the who. And I, I obsessed over that as well. So those were my big obsessions. And it was for me, if I really loved to film, yeah i sought out the vinyl for it so what about you were you a big film score obsessed or aware guy
2: not really um i mean of course it was you know john williams has always been you know star wars indiana jones all those those movies i mean it's part of the movie it's like he's a character yeah. um but it's uh uh like i i don't natural will naturally uh, seek out who actually co- was the composer really but yeah very very rarely but i'll notice when when i like the score of something i'm like oh this really works mm-hmm. i mean to the to the point where it's like it sticks out but then it doesn't stick out at the same time you know what i mean it's like no i
0: don't know what you mean at all
2: it's 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 just so natural yeah. that it's like oh, oh this works you don't
0: notice it is so so
2: you powerful. know and it's well, not like
1: Go, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, Ian. Go
2: ahead. No, it's not. It's not like it's you know, um, like it, it's 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 awkward or anything. It's it it's very. It feels very natural.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't
2: usually listen to soundtracks. I mean, every once in a while, I'll listen to like there's one that I really like that I can. I usually because I drive a lot, I'll listen to uh, the Born Identity, uh, John Powell. Oh,
1: I mean, it's I great love that school, driving yeah. music.
2: I mean, it's just you just you can tone into the road,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you know still be aware of what's going on. Um, I really like the Crouching Tiger, um, Tan Dun. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, there are very few times where I'll actually seek out who, who did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one of my favorites is, um, is Ghost Dog, and that's you know it's it's the RZA. The RZA. So because that's you know that's the genre of music and the time frame of music that is is what I'm into. Like Who's my, your my favorite, guy. yeah, you know, just that '90s, early '90s, uh, you know, throughout the early 2000s, you know, that the hip hop scene, the you know, from out of New York, and then even you know the Midwest and, and West Coast underground stuff. So um, when they, and then what if if, a, if a, a score can use like um, just like popular music and use it right like at the end of handmaid's tale
0: yeah burning down the
1: house talking heads it's
2: like it's you know i'm totally about that yeah yeah
1: that's that's really interesting because a lot of a lot of what i hear um in the conversations surrounding film scores is that there's a very strong belief that it shouldn't be noticed um which i think i i like half agree on i think a better statement would be it shouldn't get in the way Of a Mm. film, I think the music should definitely be noticed. I mean, could you imagine watching Black Panther without the score being there or something else? Exactly, yeah. Like that, that, that score—you definitely notice. There's no way around it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with. And there are definitely people that just don't register it at all, and that's fine. Me, because it's where I want to go as a career. I'm definitely always like tuning in. I want to see what this composer does. Want to stay, you know. Make sure I'm caught up on the trends that are going on because you know the film industry is constantly changing. Whether it be music, how we handle CGI. I mean, like Thor Ragnarok invented its own sort of form of cinematography for that one scene with the the Valkyries. Do you know which one I'm talking about?
0: No, tell me through it. I didn't even know
1: that. it was the scene with with the Valkyries sort of um, fighting against Hela. Okay. And it was like all that shadowy sort of motion capture stuff. I'm not oh. sure how they did it, but it's definitely not been done before. Um so that's we'll have
2: to check that out again.
1: Yeah. That's definitely what I'm always listening to. I think Black Panther has the score by Lodwin Gorenson, I think, has definitely pushed us into a new trend of cause he really he he I listened to him on a podcast, uh Song Exploder, and he was um breaking down Killmonger's theme. And he was talking about how he went to Africa. He talked to all these African musicians, invited them over to record some things that he could use. And I think that's really the only way to go around it when you're talking about a film that's set in a fictional African country. You have to sort of make your own music that isn't conventional, if that makes sense. Um, Yes, but yeah, I definitely see I definitely see the music as another character. And if you listen closely and if you know what to listen for, it'll tell you things about the film. Sometimes it'll foreshadow things. Sometimes it will warn you or subvert your expectations. And I think that's the real versatility of the way film the role film music sort of plays in the viewing experience. Um and what's also great is a movie can be like really bad, but more often than not the film score is always pretty good, yeah. you know what I mean? I do I don't, I can't really think off the top of my head a film score that just doesn't work with the film, or is just like bad, just like inherently not well executed. Um, it's always like constantly, it's also, it's always like pretty good. Um, so I think that that's just really interesting when we're talking about huh. how, the role it plays.
0: I never thought about that because I think for me, it's a bookend for me. It's if the script and the and the score meet. Mm-hmm. um the acting can almost be like not right there, but can i mean it can save a film It exactly a good it can, script yeah. a good script and you know a good director obviously you want all the elements but yeah. i do i have seen where a score has i can 't give you an example off the top of my head right now, but it, I remember in my mind 's eye that something where the script was there and the score was there, so the acting you know need not necessarily be as on point, and some of it was mm-hmm. um and I think that's very interesting that you listen to it that way. For me, I totally listen to the score for cues. I mean, a yeah. good example is like yeah. Game of Thrones. Um, it's uh, Dwadi who does that. Ramin Dwadi does that score. Wonderful. He's the hot shit in the streets right now. Yeah. He will tell you what's coming, and we know all the songs, like the Bear and the Maiden, and uh, what's the big one, uh, the Lannister th- theme. You know, when you hear the Lannister theme, you're like, oh, Cersei's gonna fucking kill this person. Like, yeah. you just know if you're paying attention. I do hear those things, and I do listen to those things. Now I'm going to be listening. I think a little bit more closely. You're kind of making me think about some things, so that's yeah. interesting.
2: Dan, I really, I really like you know, like especially the you know, the themes. Like like when you listen to Star Wars, you know what Leia's theme is, you know what Luke's theme is, and and Darth Vader, and those are the those are the easy ones to pick out. But like if you're watching something else, you know, another another uh, show, and you don't usually pay attention to. The score. It'd be a good practice to be like, okay, let me l- actively listen and see if I can get another layer of what this story is.
0: Like, I'd like to go back and listen to Mind Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a particularly good score. I don't know who that person is. I didn't look it up, but. You know, there's something about that. There's a dread when uh, Holden is talking to all the serial killers in their cages, you know, beautifully shot. It's got all the things. It's got Jonathan Groff. It's got, you know, it's got all the things. Cameron Britton is this imposing figure. But the music just sort of fills you with this extra dread, you know, and foreboding. So, yeah. Who are your favorites? Who are your tops? Like, who do you always seek out? Who's your or cornerstone Sort of like
1: top composers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well I'll definitely say And this is going to be a very popular answer No matter who you ask But um, Hans Zimmer is a def- definite influence On my music um, yeah. Obviously John Williams John Williams is what I, what I sort of take away from him When I'm writing my own stuff Is how he handles his themes And how he sort of morphs them Or like sews them into his music because um, he's known for like you know his like complex orchestration and his sweeping melodies and all that stuff, and it 's interesting because I feel like Star Wars became so relevant back in the day because a lot of film scores weren 't using that kind of music for their films if that makes sense, like a lot right. of it was like pre existing music, so like using popular music in their films or you know around that time that's when sort of synthesizer was starting to make their way into the scene, so you you heard a lot of that as well. But then here comes Star Wars with a purely orchestral score, and people are going nuts because it it it, changed. Away. it changes the experience I think um so that's definitely and around the time when I did like go back and watch all of those films, I did so with an understanding knowing that these scores were. Insanely popular and insanely influential for a lot of people that are doing film scores today. So it was, and I listen to them all the time. A lot of people say you can't listen, you or you. Sh- I guess you shouldn't listen to film music without the picture. I'll I'll agree to an extent that you might not get the same sort of. I guess, context or meaning. I know me, like, if I'm going to see a film, I'm not going to listen to the score beforehand. I want to see what the context is, how it works with the picture. And then after that, I'll definitely be listening to it. But a lot of people, and this is where sort of, you know, some attitudes towards modern film scoring sort of plays in today, because I know a lot of people that don't really take Hans Zimmer too seriously as a composer. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because, I mean, if if you just listen to it to, like, um, just anything by Hans Zimmer without any context. If you're looking at a purely musical and a purely purely theoretical standpoint, not a lot's going on. It's pretty simple, but it's really effective. And then you pair it with the the film, with the picture, and then it makes so much more sense, you know? People will always say time from inception, um, hugely popular... Um, piece. I did a cover of it cover of it on my YouTube channel if you want to check that out. Um, <laughs> but I did it um, along the way. Yeah. But it's you know it's a piece. It's four chords basically over and over and over again. And I've heard heard people like, it's just four chords, you know, and he's not really doing a lot with it. And I'm like, go watch it with the picture. And then they'll watch it and they'll come back and they're like, I get it now. You know, it's like the only possible outcome you can really have with that. Um, and even, I love some of the people that are coming up now. James Newton Howard is making a really nice uh, comeback with the Fantastic Beast films. Um, Mark Mothersbaugh has become my new favorite because... Oh my
0: God, are you kidding me? He's amazing.
1: Yeah, with, with Thor Ragnarok, he's becoming um, my new favorite. Um, again, Ludwig Goranson. I'm curious to see what, what he's going to do next. And I can't wait to see Black Panther 2 uh, with his score. Um, but yeah, those are definitely some of my top top favorites.
0: You know, going back to Hans Zimmer, because, you know, I'm the old on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I was here when Jesus was in short pants. <laughs> you know, I, I've been sort of around to see uh, Zimmer go from like almost kind of like these really kitschy, fun scores on TV shows. Am I mm-hmm. mistaken? He did Miami Vice, didn't he? He did what? I want to say, he, didn't he do Miami Vice? Like back in the ancient times, I want to say he did it in Miami Vice. I'm looking at the IMDb. He's got so many credits. It's like you'll just scroll until your hand gets tired. Yeah, yeah I'm not the man's sure. Maybe, maybe not, but I know that like he was around. He doesn't. His credits just stop at some point. I think he's like fuck it. But like, (laughs) I think he just uh, he was around doing a lot of uh, like TV stuff a little bit, and then we know him from Chariots of Fire and blah blah blah. And then then you pop in for Gladiator, and then so watching the evolution of Hans Zimmer is what's been fascinating for me. It's because he's only gotten just better with time. Yeah, like John Williams, you know. Um, that's what I love about him is just just hearing the evolution of Hans Zimmer has been exciting. It's like, yeah. oh my God, this guy's still around and like he's he's timely and he's on point and you know it's not always just a, a young person's game. I think it's just whatever talent and whatever age you are yeah. and whatever background you come from. That's what's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, and Mike my, my mother's bob, We grew up listening to him and Devo. This kind of kitschy kind of punk pop synth band and now mark is all over the place just seeing his name everywhere is very exciting as well i mean doesn't i think the drummer of the police miles copeland also does some scoring as well so i see him Mm -hmm. around and again like if you live long enough you're like oh that guy's doing this now so wasn't
2: um uh you said uh nine inch nails um
0: Oh, yeah. Trent, Trent La- Reznor. Trent Reznor, yeah. Was
2: he's doing some scoring, too. He's
0: doing some stuff. Yeah. He's doing some interesting mm-hmm.
2: things. Do you know, another interesting thing about Zimmer is that, you know, for Dunkirk, he had asked the um, the production sound mixer to get sounds on set, you know, from these mechanical sounds while you're on these boats or in the airplane that they're shooting. And he wanted to incorporate that sound into his score. Um, I don't know if he was able to do it. I know the sound mixer was like, "Yeah, uh, we weren't able to do it as well as he wanted to, just because of the conditions."
0: Well, his stuff did, you know. Most of his mics went underwater, is what you were saying, right?
2: Yeah, and then like in the in the airplane, he like had to, you know, he had to get permission to even tape a recorder onto the, you know, just the a panel of the airplane because it was moving. It was a real live plane that was moving. So it it you know just this thing sitting there could have uh, created a that's a, really
0: cool you yeah know,
2: a, a danger to the the pilot but I mean just to get to have that you know a, a aspect of like I need to get just these guttural sounds and when we watched Dunkirk the the score and then the sound design was was out of this world. Didn't win
0: an Oscar for that reason?
2: Yep, they did.
1: Yeah, it was a huge sound design film. I remember seeing it in the theaters and getting chills from the sounds of, you know, the airplanes screeching. It was, yeah, it was maybe not my favorite Nolan film, but it was definitely like a huge sound design film that I I really enjoyed in that part. But I think what, what made Hans Zimmer... You know, so incredibly influential and famous is that he he sort of started rising up from the ranks around like the synthesizer age when that sort of coming into play, and he was reeling into sampling. You know, making his own sounds, and the also the way he um, the way he, I guess, approached the way he he wrote his scores because. Like like let's just let's just say Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's basically like a rock band orchestra if you really think about it. Like the string instruments are now becoming like percussion instruments, and a lot and that like spanned a whole like trend in film music, and you still see it today. Um, and Hans Zimmer is also known for his, like, versatility. Like, a lot of his scores now, the ones he's been doing lately, uh, sound so dissimilar from each other that it doesn't even sound like the same person did it.
0: I think that's what shocks me about it yeah. as well. Yeah. Because like normally it's like if you heard something in the 80s, you knew you automatically knew it was Hans Zimmer. I think yeah. they might have even made a joke about it on SNL at some point. You know, like, it, it just became so... But then when he, he just... He stepped out of his own genre he created and created another one and now you're right that's what shocks me about him i'm like that's han zimmer what yeah that's really cool yeah that's very cool so um i was gonna ask you like so there's scores mm-hmm. and i'm ignorant of this i was listening to matt quayle talk about mr robot again one of my favorite composers for tv is matt quayle um you know, the, his choice of popular music, he doesn't necessarily, he says he doesn't make those decisions on a TV show. Like they come from different places. An actor will come in with, how about this song? And then Sam Ismail will come in with a song. And, you know, even the gaffer, I think said, you know, it be a good song here. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I guess it depends on the person. What, what is the, the duties for a composer to say doing a TV score, like in the popular songs, how does that work? Is that their task, or is that another guy or girl?
1: I think I think it would really depend on. I think it's very different from from like TV and film. But for like for TV composer, I feel a lot of that is like a production decision, and some of the times it might be a composer decision. Um, my favorite use of that is in Thor Ragnarok with you know the immigrant song. Um, yes, I'm pretty sure that was that was. I think they used that in the film because that's the song they marketed the film with and it just ended up being in the film um but that yeah that's interesting the way used that tv composers sort of you know sew in popular music along with their own thing tv composers are, are just a whole nother you know different breed only because instead of working on you know a project for three to four weeks like a film composer you're there for like like Ramin Djawadi with Game of Thrones he's been there for like six seven seasons and he's been with that world and those characters for six seven seasons and I I don't know a lot of the music for Game of Thrones obviously other than the the theme song um but yeah I definitely have tons of respect for people that can sort of go go that long you know
0: yeah, he'll, like, write, especially these last several seasons, as the story is coming to a head and coming to an end, this next season will be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of shit that went down this last season where, like, they're just, you know, they're, they're closing out stories, so shit's getting real, you know. Everybody's just, like, stuff is happening. For the longest time, you're building lore, you're building background, they're doing this amazing task of translating these very dense uh, books into and, and screen and, and doing what they do, and they would, like, task... Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawadi with like, hey, we you know we have this big scene coming up like they had two major battles in one episode. And I remember the director just like reaching out to him directly and going, I need something that I'm not going to have a whole lot of talking Yeah, it was a it was a getting ready piece where all of these characters were getting ready for this big showdown to go for this trial, if you will. And and it was just the score. The score was the character in the room. The score was carrying our story. And it was just a series of shots of characters getting dressed and um, like, damn. That's why mm-hmm. he gets like nominated a lot because he'll just sell it to you and like it makes you very much invested, very much emotional, and that's what a good film score does, right? But I guess I just always ask, like on a show like Stranger Things, say or Glow or Mr. Robot, you know, I'm always I'd like to be a fly on the wall to go like, how did the, that person find those particular songs? Yeah, you know, where does that come from?
1: Well, a good example is like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, all of those like 80s songs that are in those films, those are actually written into the script by James Gunn, which I think is cool. interesting. But in terms of like Stranger Things, uh, the way, uh, I don't know their names. Kyle, Kyle Dickson. Kyle Michael Dickson. Stein. Yeah. 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 Um, the way they do it, they don't, they don't necessarily score a the picture. They just basically write these suites, uh, with their ideas and then it gets edited into the to the show at least that's how they did it for the first season. I don't I don't know if they changed it for season 2 or what what they're doing for season I don't think now they
0: didn't it seemed to be the same process I feel yeah.
1: like. Yeah. So even like the process of scoring is changing today and a lot of people are like bellyaching over it I'm like this is just how we evolve. This is how, this is how we make things, you know, how we progress, how we make things better, you know.
0: How do you, how do you mean? Like what has been the the transformation?
1: Well, the transformation too, is a lot of composers really big name composers are now coming in at the beginning of projects rather than at the end. Um, the best example, I mean, Ludwig Garnson, Black Panther, he was there from the very beginning because he had a close relationship with Ryan Coogler. Um, another great example is uh, Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan have a really great working relationship. Um, Nolan came to Zimmer at the beginning, like even before he started writing Interstellar. I think it was either before he started writing or before they started shooting. And he told, you know, Hans Zimmer about the project and he asked him to write one piece that sort of, he gave him a letter and it was like, uh, rela- uh, like a, it was about a father and a daughter relationship. Um, and he gave it to Zimmer and he wrote a piece about that. And then he basically shot the film around that piece. And that's wow. why that score wow. is so transformational. And I think that's definitely how <laughs> we should be doing things, um, especially since, you know, when composers do sort of get in on the, the latter half of projects, a lot of it is is like a race to the finish line because you're two weeks out from, you know, distribution to theaters and everything. Movie's been marketed. I've, I've heard a lot of composers say that they'll be driving down LA and they'll see a billboard for their movie and they're thinking the music's not even written, you know?
0: That's <laughs> so funny.
1: I, so, and I, and I think composers who do get in at the beginning of the project who like sort of soak in like the production and how things are being done in the story and you're sort of living again like the way ramin uh ramin jawadi is sort of scoring game of thrones when you're living with that character in that world for so long that it it becomes just another language i you love
0: know? how we call him Raman, like he's a top ramen and he just <laughs> corrected me and said ramin sorry ramin Sorry, dude, but I'm sure you can't hear me in your mansion. So.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think, I definitely think that's Why do people bellyache
0: be about that, though? Like, why would you bellyache? I mean, because it would be a, your, it's, isn't it your wet dream to be there from day one, be, it, part of the process? Why would you bellyache about being part of that process?
1: I think a lot of it is people saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know John Williams personally doesn't score a film until the picture is locked. So that means he's coming in at the end. Um so, yeah, it's a lot of people saying, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. A lot of people have taken issue with even how the Stranger Things composers have done it because they're not necessarily scoring for a particular scene. They're sort of covering all their bases with suites, and that gets edited in later. But I think it's just as effective. So it, yeah, just, it just, mean, just sort it of is depends. A, it is,
0: I mean, I don't notice that difference. I mean, maybe I'd have to be you or someone, but I don't. I mean, even I don't notice that
1: difference. When I, yeah. I, I, I learned about that after the fact. I was like that i don't i don't see much of a difference in the way the way it's sort of handled
2: i mean it sounds like i mean it's by case by case yeah. production by production the only thing that would be the you know the detriment is like you're the afterthought like okay now you can do it at the end where the composer has no um you know like the oh uh, driving down like the example you gave it yeah. driving down the freeway and seeing your billboard and then like i haven't even done anything yet yeah. Right. So that now you're sort of left out.
0: Well, and also I'd just say a score can totally change the intent or the mood. The decision whether to use score can change the intent or the mood. Yeah. Traditionally indies when I was coming up and we were making indie films, you know, we couldn't afford music. You know, we couldn't afford a film score, and then our musician friends only had time to maybe get something a a one piece out to you. So you ended up with a theme song. There was a bunch of stuff, and again, you know, we're shooting the stuff in film, and it was back Mm -hmm. in the day, and you know, dinosaurs and shit. But uh, it was just like something, and that became the the mark of an indie is because you had master medium shots master wide shots because you didn't have a lot of time to like get coverage you had to get your film done yeah and film stock was precious and you had to have like if you blew it if you exposed that can of film you were fucked so there was just so many things that held you back and again because music was so precious you had to let it breathe so yeah I appreciate when they when composers know when to put it in and when to take it out. You know, when to let let a scene just be quiet yeah. and then when to let it just sort of take off. But if you put like music in like I've I've seen, I've been in the edit room any time. I was in post producer for the longest time a piece would just totally take on a completely different meaning Mm -hmm. with the adding of music. And I've seen people do it ham fistedly and some people do it like very, um, deftly, very aptly. So, but I was going to say, I don't know what you feel about this. I'm sure we have the same opinion, but I can't remember what it was. I've been trying to beat my brain. Something we were watching on TV a couple of years ago. I want to say it was some British thing we were watching. It might not have been British. Don't get mad England. Um, Where it was just wall-to-wall score.
2: Oh, do you know what it might have been? It might have been that... um, um, Okay, who's the guy in Fargo, the last Fargo with the teeth? That that actor.
0: Oh, uh, Thulis.
2: Thulis. He plays... There's this thing on... I don't know if it's Amazon or what it was. I was watching it one night, and he plays a detective... And he goes into this family's house and how all of these people are involved in this one person. That's
0: what it was. I can't remember. Suicide. The, yes.
2: And it's just wall to wall. It's yeah. like,
0: motherfucker, let me breathe. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's like, y'all trying to, are they trying to fix something? I don't, I don't want to call out the composer. That would be wrong. Who knows what was going on? But it felt like either it's amateur hour, which you don't do that with BBC money. And or... You know, somebody was trying to fix something
2: I, or it could have been a style because, it, I mean, it was very it was very much of this like detective over the top type asphyxiating thing. Asphyxiating on yeah. the
0: score, man. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. Am I the only one that that bugs?
1: Well, uh, yeah. there might be a couple of reasons for why that happened. That might not have even been a composer decision. A mm. lot of the times composers aren't the single authority on where they should pick music. I assume people like John Williams. I think people sort of trust him at this point <laughs> that he knows where where to put. But he also uses silence very effectively as well. Um, yes. Either that or that show was maybe even going for like, like, I don't even know, like an operatic aesthetic where there's music underlying the action the whole time. Um, yeah, but was it like? like it was was it just like my
0: hand as a viewer? Though I think it was just kind of I'll find it and send it to you, and we'll you know talk about. It. I wish i had had it as an example to put in front of you. You're just now helping me remember it. Mm-hmm. But it was like it was like forcing. I was feeling one way about the storyline, and then the score was trying to like no feel this way, and I'm like, but I don't feel that way. Just yeah, get your score off my body. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but maybe maybe I mean it would be nice to know. It'd be interesting to know what the reasons for that are. But yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You're saying that the the composer it, depo- it totally depends on the person, their clout, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: the composer's probably somewhere going, motherfucker.
1: I mean, I could be wrong on that. That that's just that's just my impression. But a lot of the spotting is definitely between the director and the composer, and a lot of times the, even the the studio has the final say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Studio influ- influences on on film scores are becoming a lot more prevalent, and I'm seeing that a lot with, like, the more recent superhero movies. Um, A good example is uh, Justice League. Um, Danny Elfman, love him, awesome composer. Um, But there's just one thing I don't agree with, is the fact that Danny Elfman was, uh, you know, he scored the 1980s Batman film. Um, Iconic Batman theme, right? And then he comes back for this film. Batman is also in this film, so he uses that same theme. On a surface level sort of sort of viewpoint, I kind of get it. But also at the same time, this Batman and Justice League is not the same Batman. In the 1980s film Or even like the animated series Where they used his music as well Um, And and I'm not convinced That was Elfman's decision either That might have been the studio saying Hey you know what would be really cool (laughs) Is if we use this old Batman theme And people will really like it I didn't like it only because it didn't, it, it for one, it was really distracting um, because it's not like it's like sort of weaved into the score. It's like very much bold faced. There it is. Here's the Batman theme that we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially since when there was already another Batman theme by Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL in Batman versus Superman. And so, and so they're breaking continuity with their score. And it's borderline sort of like disrespecting what came before it. Um, But also production in that movie was really messy as well. So I don't know. But that definitely (laughs) to me feels like a production decision. And even like Infinity War, when you have a cast of 40 characters and they all have their separate individual themes. uh, I think it was a good decision not to include all of them. I would have liked a a nudge here or two by Alan Silvestri. Um, And we definitely got that. Like when it cuts to Wakanda in the film, you hear the Black Panther theme, which is awesome. When it cuts to Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, it's 80s music. So at that, I I think it excelled at that point. But I would love to hear like a little Spider-Man theme every now and again, you know, something like that. Um, it's like the
0: Dodgers taking on the film. They all come out to their own music.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like you just spend 20 minutes just introducing each character. Yeah. So, yeah. That's but, yeah but then yeah,
2: I can just go like off to the, you know, like wonky because he's all these different things going, oh, I'm so <laughs> confused
1: now. Yeah. and But I totally understand the concern of flooding the music with pre-existing themes and not allowing the composer that's there to come up with his own stuff. Totally get that. Um, but I think that's that's just me personally wanting to go into that film and hearing all those cool themes. So that's just me.
0: It's so funny just to think about like how political probably these musical decisions are.
2: Well, and yeah. now that people you know are, are these you know want to buy soundtracks and they're putting popular music in, it's like we
0: bought the I bought the know. Black Panther soundtrack.
2: Was like the Matrix soundtrack. I mean, I all it is too. is just it's it's the 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 popular songs. There's no actual score in it.
0: They didn't put the score in it at all. I don't
2: think they did. I was just downloading it, and it's just all you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're
1: lost. Yeah. Re- they're releasing. <laughs> so like, soundtrack and score is like no longer interchangeable terms. Like if you if you look up Spotify Black Panther panther soundtrack you'll get the kendrick lamar soundtrack but if you want the black panther
0: yeah.
2: score then you'll get the Ludwig Göransson score so
0: oh so they're separating them out yeah
2: yeah because i remember you that's what you bought and it was all kendrick lamar and i was like okay he didn't do everything i was like on i this. love it to yeah. Kendrick
0: lamar but what happened <laughs> yeah. yeah i didn't get it i didn't get it at all yeah so now that explains everything to me i wonder can you get tv scores online you know because yeah. yeah you can cause Here's the thing. I haven't even really thought about it. I don't know if you're a big Twin Peaks person. Um, I was around for the original, obviously, and then uh, then the return came back to Showtime, and I, I think I was one of the only people who actually enjoyed it and understood it. But I did do a lot of drugs in my youth, so <laughs> and so did David Lynch. So, um, but the, I don't. What do you do? You know the work of Angelo? Is it Badalamenti Bada Lamenti? Do you know his work?
1: I can't say I don't know.
0: He's a he's a he's an odd duck. He kind of lives over in his own world and talk about when I think about somebody who kept using the synth mm-hmm. and kept he has such an, a sound in the Twin Peaks score uh and its presence in the return it was definitely one of those nostalgia pieces. I feel like Lynch wanted to come back around and kind of um because he got fucked, you know, in season two on ABC. He mm-hmm. was trying to do this thing and they didn't let him finish. And so he got to go back with Showtime money and do what he wanted to and get as weird as Lynch can get. And he brought back Angelo. And I was really happy because Angelo's score was a huge part of the story. Um, but you get a chance, though. Listen to it and tell me what you think. It's so specifically stuck in a certain time. hmm that it's kind of like in this case, like maybe probably it didn't work with Batman. It sounds like it was a nightmare. Here, if you didn't bring back Angelo, you weren't bringing back the entire show. So, right, that was kind of those places where you want it in this specific way to work. But I think on a franchise like Batman, that just doesn't sound like it's a really good. But this, is it me? Is isn't the franchise of
1: Batman problematic in general? It's only problematic because there's so many different universes, like yeah. cinematic universes when it comes to Batman. And now even within like the DC cinematic universe, it feels like Batman vs. Superman took place in a whole other universe than Justice League. But then you also have like the Nolan Batman films. You have... Gotham on Fox which I love and I think is the best thing DC has done by far. Um and then like CW is thinking about doing like a Batman uh, or about Woman uh TV show. Oh
0: really?
1: Um yeah, yeah. That I think that just came out today actually. Um but yeah, I totally I think the the problem with like the Justice League thing is it's not like it's sort of a continuation. If it was like a continuation of like the 1980s film, like it was a sequel, I kind of get it. But this is like a sort of new reincarnation, a new modern version of the Batman. And I feel like using the 1980s theme doesn't really sit well with me only because it doesn't just fit as well as it did in
2: that in that old movie. So,
0: yeah. I don't know. It's I like I, I think you like your word "distracting." It feels like
2: yeah. Well, yeah. It's like when you when you when you had that reboot with Keaton back in Batman, and then we started moving on to like. By the time we got to George Clooney Batman, it was almost comical.
0: Yeah. It was yeah. just
2: you know it was like oh we have all these these bright colors and it's just That just
0: lost me at Christian Bale. I was fine with all the Batmans until Christian Bale, and then I was done. <laughs>
2: Christian Bale.
0: I might be the only person uh, that, who doesn't like uh, Christian Bale. I don't like Daniel Day-Lewis or Christian Bale. There I said it. There I said it. Also not a big Bruce Spring- Springsteen fan. We're confessing shit. That's how I feel <laughs> on all those people. <laughs> Let's go back to composers, though. You and I have a shared love for Bear McCreary. Yes. Uh, we do love him so hard. You love him, too. Like, we really appreciate what he's, he's done on. Uh, we talk about the problematic um, Walking Dead um, and a guy who's so underused. I've been noticing, I don't know if you watch Outlander, I just came upon these crazy little books that have a huge following years ago. And they finally turned it into this, uh, Ron D. Moore came and did uh, the the screen adaptation on Stars for Outlander. Mm-hmm. And Bear does a score for that. And I got to tell you, they let him actually shine on Outlander. I know he does so many other things. But his score on Outlander, like, he's really, he's really stepped up the game. Uh, he, yeah. he added that element to the show that I think he should get. I hope he gets all the props in the world for because Bear is made, he's a huge part of that show. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. What else is Bear doing? Do we know? Um,
1: I know he, he's, do, he's doing Black Sales. Um, I think that's on HBO. Yeah. And he's done, I'm pretty sure he's done stuff for, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um what else has he done
0: i'm looking at him right here cloverfield lane 10 cloverfield lane oh yeah that's right yes yeah whoop whoop uh yeah battlestar galactica that's how he knows ron d moore Mm -hmm. walking dead lost and found animal crackers valencia la 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 but yeah this guy he's one of those guys where i don't he just works so much because he gets sort of Sunk in these series because he's still doing Walking Dead while he's also doing Outlander. Yeah. So he's really busy. I'd like to see them cancel the Walking Dead um, <laughs> so that he can just focus on uh, new and improved things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mean about that show. So bad. <laughs> you should go and listen to our podcast about Walking Dead where the three of us talk about um, why I've quit the show and Andre is not.
1: Yeah. So I th- I can, can I also say I think it's great that we're talking about this because I was listening back to the two episodes and I, I'm like, I sound really cynical and like <laughs> I hate everything about everything. I don't. We just happen to talk about things that I have some slightly negative opinions on.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the standard on the show, I think people who listen to the show on a regular basis and we have quite a few uh, subscribers who, watch, who listen to every show and thank you by the way, we love you so much. Um, they I, They know, and if you're a new listener, we don't listen to stuff just to shit on it, but it's like one of those things where I loved Walking Dead so long that I felt kind of done in by the show. Go Mm -hmm. back and listen to it. We're not trying to, like, shit on the show. I mean, I, I end up shitting on the show, but it's because it broke my heart. And the beautiful thing about Andre is he's trying to say, don't go away just yet. You know, wait for Angela Kang. Wait for her to come on board. Wait for her to save the day. And she may very well do that. I don't know how they're going to do that after Andrew Lincoln. But I don't think we were too negative. If you want to hear negative, go listen to my rant about Glow Season 2. <laughs> I'm practically frothing at the mouth. So, um, And unapologetically. I, I'm sorry. I just don't know what y'all are doing over there. Um, Let's talk about something that's kind of interesting. I'm sure people are going to roll their eye over this, but I have noticed, and maybe this is just me, that there's not that many women um, or people of color in this composing world. Why, do, why is that? Is that changing? Is that...
1: You... I think it's getting better. Um, sure. Marvel has just hired its first female composer for Captain Marvel. Um, oh Blanking on her I mean, name right now But I'm excited for that So there is change. She's just called the woman <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the woman um, Again, Ramin Jawadi, German-Iranian composer Obviously very popular But yes. it's kind of an undeniable fact That the conversation is around a lot of White male composers um. Why I I think it's a problem. I mean, I think we all know why. Um, but is it the,
0: socioeconomic? Is it just? I mean, is it political? Is I it? I think.
1: Well, here is the thing. I never talk about like representation like this in a political context, only because I don't think it's a political agenda or it's a political side that you should take. Um, okay. I think it's just an ethical civil rights thing. But I think the problem is is that. Women in POC composers, they are out there. It's not because they're they're not there and we don't they're there. The problem is that they're not given exposure or given chances to work on big projects. A lot of them end up being on like composition teams for shows. Like Bear McCreary has his own team for Walking Dead, because he's doing like five TV shows at the same time, that sometimes he needs a little help, which is completely fine. But I think it's because, and it's also the studio's not wanting to take chance, or not want, wanting to take a risk. I mean, if you spend like five hundred million dollars on your film, you're going to want to get a composer that knows what they're doing and has been proven to work. Especially since you're bringing the him woman in at will the end. start a fire. The woman
0: will cause everyone to menstruate in the audience. The <laughs> gay guy will make everyone gay.
1: No, it's probably not that. Well, and I think I think how you we were talking about earlier about bringing composers in at the beginning of the project. If we start doing that more, and if there is uh, like a female composer that is maybe not working out, we can go with someone else. But it's the fact that we sh- need to start considering them for these for these bigger projects.
0: I say this to uh, young writers because I write for sometimes for Screenwriting You uh, magazine, and I also help a lot of young writers. And I'm also about just propping up other writers. I love writers. I want to support them. I want to support everybody in our community. Um, who's trying to make things in the makers community, composers and podcasters. And it doesn't matter if you're even, you know, out and out competing with me. It doesn't matter. I'm I'm glad, rise. I always say just rise. I think one of the things that I would suggest is because there's a lot of people, we live in a town where people make um, their films all the time. I'm sure people are making films in Virginia. People are making their own films everywhere. Sure. They're making their pilot. And I just, you know, give give that person of color a chance. You know, they're going to work extra hard for you there is so much talent out there and it, it's kind of like sometimes what we know about the industry because of something you just said they they don't want to take a chance yeah you have to show them so you know Ryan Coogler came up showing people what a black director could do Ava DuVernay had to show people uh and now you got Issa Rae and Lena Waithe and you have all these these people you know that are you know on An- on An- An- all these people out there who are like let me show you. Yeah. And we're in the digital age. We have YouTube. You don't have to have a big red carpet uh, premiere. And so I'm just thinking about it. It's like as you go to think about your film score, you know, somebody may be willing to like work with you. You know, I, I hate it that people have to work for free to get their stuff out there. I, I don't necessarily believe it. I think you should pay somebody something yeah. to do their project. But you know, just include, think, widen the the you know when you're going on. Uh, the places where you go to find uh, your musicians in film score, wherever those places may be, uh, doing the open call, look for those people of color, look for those people of 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 other and and broaden your horizon because there there' are so people there's so many musicians and composers out there, yeah who would love to to use. You know to be have their music out there I mean well, and get guys like you like go go reach out to I'm sure you would love to put your music in somebody's film if it was the right deal right
1: yeah so well, yeah you know. and I'm well I mean and here's the thing as well short films and independent films are are I don't think they're not the they they I don't think they are the problem I think that's where yeah. a lot of female composers and people of color composers get their their start and then from there they get into Never internships mind. and to com, com, um, composing teams but the problem is they don't get past that, I they don't yeah, they're, stuck that. In, in, they're stuck at that and it's, and it's huh. because that they're not giving a four minute rant on that then. <laughs> it's because <laughs> that they're not given opportunities or chances to show what they can do yeah. and that's where the rhetoric, rhetoric of whether well, they're just not here we don't see them we you know oh. you know what i mean and gotcha. and let me just say this i i did a paper uh, from a music history class last semester, and it was on female composers in like the classical period in the Romantic era, and one of them was Fanny Mendelssohn, who is the sister of Felix Mendelssohn, and mm. Mendelssohn is one of the most influential, famous Romantic classical composers. But her, uh, his sister, I cannot find anything about her, and she wrote over four hundred pieces. A lot of which she had to publish under her brother's name if she wanted to, to get out in the first place. Eat she wrote over four hundred pieces, and I found out I could only find so like just a, not enough information to write a whole page or a whole paper. To the point that I had to switch topics. Like it was that bad. I couldn't write eight hundred words on Fannie Mendelssohn because there wasn't enough information for me to talk about. You know. Wow. It was, And if you go on YouTube, try to look at her, some of her stuff. The only videos you'll get are people who have found her work and who have performed it. But a lot of them are like low quality or they're like at student recitals. They don't get that professional recording. They don't get those like professional recital performances. So it's, so it's, it's just been a bad a problem. access, isn't it? Yeah. It's been a problem for a long time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow. It's just the, the wow. patriarchy.
1: Yeah. Man.
0: Oh, white people. Oh, white dudes. <laughs> Such a problem. If you were watching television yesterday, you could see what a problem old white dudes are, where our president just basically committed treason. He just basically pulled down his pants and put his dick in Putin's mouth. Okay. Um so, wow, so I guess, because again, I am totally ignorant about um, these kinds of things, so never mind everyone yeah that 's interesting, so they just because they want to just protect the go- I can say that about writers too uh, lo- there 's so many screenplays out there there 's so many amazing people like they they want your work, they want the sure thing, they want to put your work on, and they and you hear that, and you go and write because I 'm a screenwriter for the longest time, writing stuff and trying to get it past this big fucking wall. It, no no they'll steal it from you yeah. I, i've learned that they'll steal your your work but they don't want to let you in yeah. because you're the unwashed heathen coming in from the outside so you're not part of them um and it does change little by little by little by little as we're seeing directors and women uh people of color get in inside the gates a little bit and they're trying to open it up for other people hopefully this will change yeah. I mean that's not to shit on like like Jason Hill who does the score for Mindhunter
1: or well, you know, Tyler yeah, yeah. Bates who does the Punisher totally. or, or totally. any of, or
0: John Williams or any of those guys. I'm not yeah. saying let's like, string John Williams up. Yeah. But isn't there room isn't there room for everybody?
1: Yeah, I'm totally not invalidating the awesome work of, oh, the, yeah, of you, you know the white male composer. I'm not I'm completely not invalidating that. What I'm sort of saying is it's that we need to start opening the door more, and like Absolutely. even you said, like yeah, Barry Curry awesome. He's doing five TV shows at the same time. What if he gave just one of those TV shows to someone on his composing staff? You know, give
0: Give The Walking Dead to someone. Go look. I'm I'm dead inside. Um, <laughs> I I want to give you this show.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, junior composer, um, uh, Jonathan Van Ness. I'm getting curious. Did an episode with I think her name oh, names escaping right now. It's uh, I think it's Jessica. Van Huber, I might be getting completely that wrong. What does it say? Um, she was just on his Jessica Jessica just, Ray Huber, yeah, very okay. very recent podcast, and she's actually a, a assistant composer on The Walking Dead, um, and she she talks about you know the this, this sort of similar things we're talking about now, but she, even she has said you know she's been in rooms with other male composers and they just completely just don't either they don't talk to her or talk about her in the third person, so it's even the attitude towards women who have made it to that level that are it's like, like a woman in a, ri- a woman in a writing room, a writer's room. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's the same fucking thing. You don't exist. Get me coffee. Exactly. Oh, the bitch had a funny joke. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it's or like, like and a, a, a lot in of politics. Those, yeah. Same thing. A lot of those assistant composers don't get credits in, in the, the projects either. Um, you could probably find them on IMDB, but other than that, they're not, I mean, a lot of the composers that are really prevalent now, Ramin mean, um, trying to think. Uh, Henry Jackman does a lot of Marvel films. They all started as Interns, assistant composers for Hans Zimmer, and he gave him that leg up to sort of right. you know, get out, get into other projects. And I think change is on the horizon. Uh, Christoph Beck, who who is composed for you know Frozen, Ant Man, Ant Man and the Wasp, he's offering internships specifically to women and POC composers because he he sort of sees that disparity and the inequality of you know how that sort of demographic is um, and. The uh, Jessica Ray Huber on Jonathan's podcast. She said that there was a census of like the most five hundred, like the top five hundred most successful films. Only three percent of which were were scored by female composers, which is astonishingly low and terrible.
0: And here's what I'm going to say to people who go, "Why? Why do we have to let this be open to POC women? Why do we have to do that?" Well, I'll tell you. I have a really one billion dollar example of that. Uh, when you make a black superhero film, it you make money. Disney made a billion dollars in counting. When you let diversity in, you get rewarded. Uh Netflix is 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 capitalizing on this. Uh HBO is capitalizing on this. People who let this happen, you know, when you let Issa Rae and Lena Waith um in, when you let um, Ryan Murphy in, Ryan Murphy is a mogul you know, he's creating jobs every day. When you let trans actors be in their own stories, like pose, it just, it's more entertaining. It gets better. Yeah. we talked about this before. If you let the gays in, everybody looks better. The makeup gets better. The lighting gets better. The hair gets better. The clothes get better. Everybody gets better. You know, workout tips. If you let people in... It does get better, and if you let women have their take on something, a person of color, they bring this whole other element to it, and and we might discover something brand new. Yeah. And that's not to say that we're going to send all the white people home. There's room for everybody to sit in the – there's plenty of projects that are happening all the time that if you just – maybe you make a million dollars less this quarter. Yeah. You know. And
2: then if you open – Sorry, go ahead, Ian. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, if you open up the if you open up the access, it's like, you know, we want to see people like us telling our stories, or or I don't you know, want to see
0: any more old white ladies. So it, it's you I'm not going to agree with you'll that. you'll
2: make more money because more people will go. Sure, you know, it's just like it it makes sense to do that. Yeah. Sure.
1: Well, even uh, and I'll say this: the composer for Back Panther, Ludwig uh, Gorenson, he is white but the way he handled sort of the the crafting of the score by bringing in african musicians by listening to them by letting them put their input into this project right. that's the that's the way you do it and a lot of people i see this more in sort of the book world a lot of people are saying write what you know write what you know meaning a white author shouldn't be writing about like I don't know. A black woman in in the middle of a civil war. Something like that. I agree to an extent, but there's something called research. There's something called sensitivity readers. That will read your book to make sure that it's not problematic, it's not, you know, anything like that. So it's possible. I think we need to give those stories to the people who have gone through something like that, definitely. I'm
0: so glad you bring this up. Can I just, can I mention something to sure. you? So yeah. I'm, writing, I'm writing my first book. I've never written a book before, so I decided I'm gonna write a book. And when I sat down to like come up with my character, and, you know, I go back and forth why I chose a boy. I have a whole – I won't waste our time on why I chose a male, uh, but he's a bisexual male, and he is – he's Lakota Lakota Sioux, and he's also um, Egyptian. And I just didn't – and he's in the South, and I just – because I didn't want to – it's not that I'm trying to, like, fill out some form for Social Justice Warriors Incorporated. It was just, like, I didn't want to see another white kid, right? I wanted to – Put someone brown on the page, and I kind of wanted to learn. Lo- I know about the Lakota Sioux part of it, but I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to explore this avenue and write. I'm like, am I uncomfortable being a white chick writing this? At this point, I feel very comfortable doing it. And again, I will have people of color who will. Will read and sit with this and say, you know, how they felt about it. And then I wanted to speak to the bisexual community as well because they don't seem to get a whole lot of love in the YA world a lot of times. Maybe they do. I haven't really done a whole lot of exploring. Again, it's my first book, but it's really funny. You're right. It's like I had to like wrestle with that for almost a year of who am I? Yeah. But again, I could just sit here with my time and just write another, you know, cis white. You know, heroin. Yeah, who needs to be saved? Yeah, off the I, train I, definitely, tracks.
1: I definitely so. don't feel like we need to like restrict who can write and who can talk about what story. But I think it had, it has to be made aware to those people who do want to do something like that, to straight authors who want to write a queer story, that you are going to need to consult other people to make sure you're That's getting right. the story right and you're not perpetuating any bad stereotypes or what have you, and. Right. It's exactly what Ludwig Orson did. He could have just went into GarageBand, looked up some African drum loops, and that was a score. But instead, he went to Africa. He talked to people from that area, engaged the instruments from that area, and made it his own thing. That's the way to go about it, I think. Um, I have
0: even more respect for it now that I know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool yeah, to
1: know. Yeah. So respect, I guess, respect the, the subject of your writing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um yeah. And if there is something wrong with your writing if someone tells you hey this is really problematic just say i'm sorry i'll try better next time don't try to defend it change it, it. but yeah. change
0: it though i mean like again like, it's like for me it's like because i want to always learn it's like as i've come up through The world, um, all of the terms we use to talk about ourselves and identity, it's like just evolve. You know, I've had people go, oh, no, it's called this is how we're saying this now. This is how we're talking about this now. I'm like, right on, cool, copy that and go. Yeah. You know, uh, don't stay ignorant is my thing. It's like, please school me. Um, You know, that's the only way to evolve. Mm hmm. You know, you're not – don't don't get stuck in your generation and go, I'm Gen X. This is how it is. Yeah. Fuck you, man. Evolve. And why are you warring with the other generation? They're, there's so much to learn from each other. So I'm telling you about that. And, and I think that – I guess that's – okay, so flowing into that, what advice do you have – you're a young composer. What advice do you have to say the kid out there or the older person or whomever who wants to start doing this, who's always wanted to score? Is, do you have to have tons of money and tons of education to do it? Like, What do you need to, to become a composer?
1: I think right now in this day and age in how the film industry is now, um, it's all about connections. It's all about knowing the right people. So put yourself out there. Um, if you're a self-starter, don't feel like you need to go to music school to be a good composer. If you're a self-starter, go on YouTube and learn and, you know, listen to a bunch of music, try to do, you know, some of your own stuff. Um, there's a, there's a misconception that you have to live in LA or New York and London to make it as a TV and film composer. Don't need to, it's probably the best circumstance, but you don't need to. A lot of other composers have come. I mean, you know, like came from Sweden, you know. Right, so don't let your circumstances sort of hold you back. Um, Even though sometimes it, you know, money is always an issue with this sort of thing. Um, But I think what I really and Hans Zimmer said this, and this is why I sort of identify with his ideology. You don't need a bunch of equipment. And a bunch of samples in your computer. If you have an iPad and a Garage GarageBand app, you can do whatever you like. Make your own music, make your own sounds, and that's that's just my two cents on it. So right on,
0: right on. So if you're out there and you're thinking about it, you've been worried about it, doing it. Just do it. Just that's do what I it. say about writing. Just sit down with writing. You don't have to have like the perfect idea, or you have a thousand ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with with writing. It's like finish something. Just go finish something.
1: Yeah. It doesn't you know, have whether to be it's a perfect short story every time.
0: or no. And it's gonna you know it's going to be miserable and gross and terrible. And that's you learn from that too. That's kind of the fun part for me when I'm writing and it becomes like a. I'm a hot mess or whatever. And I just, I laugh about it and get up the next day and start all over again. But I do finish what I start. I will have to say that about anything I believe that you do. Yeah. Finish, if you're going to write a song, finish the song. It can be the worst song ever. You don't have to play it for anybody. Yeah. But you've got that one song under your belt. Next. Write the next song. Next. Write the next song. Next. You know, it's yeah. like write a chapter. Next. Until you're at the end of that thing. Yeah. So.
1: Failure is not the opposite of success, it's part of it. It's part it of totally
0: part of it. Suck until you're good. Exactly. You know, if I could put that on a t-shirt all day long, you are going to suck. You know, nobody had sex the first day and was like good at it. Nobody like <laughs> cooked their – Like you didn't like when I was like, when I was a kid learning how to cook. It's like how many eggs did I mess up because eggs are really really tough. Like it's really hard to get that right, and it took me a long time. And writing, I would sit down and write in my journal every day. I didn't realize that that was the beginning of my writing career. Yeah, I would tell myself a little story and write it in a book. Sit down and like do your composition until you finish it. You know, finishing is really huge because then you've done it. It's an accomplishment. Nobody needs to like grade it for you. Yeah. So, but I love that. I didn't know Hans Zimmer said that. That's really inspiring. Yeah. He seems like a good dude.
1: <laughs> he's a cool dude.
0: I want to hang out with Hans Zimmer. <laughs> Personality-wise, who's like your favorite person? Would it be Hans of all of these guys that you would want to sit down and like just chill with? Who would you want to chill with of all these composers?
1: Oh, definitely Hans. Def- definitely, definitely. Yeah, he's the guy. I did. I did his um, online masterclass um oh wow yeah and that's pretty much just like hanging out with him because it's it's almost he looks a lot into the camera so it's like he's addressing you um i definitely recommend it definitely recommend it. it's only 90 dollars, not a lot you get like there's like 30 videos that you can it's you know whole online class 30 30
0: videos for 90 bucks
1: yep 30 videos all of very all of varying lengths but um yeah, definitely, definitely do it. They have like chat boards that you can talk to other composers from around the world on. There are places that you can post your own music. So, you know, if you want to... you need
0: to slip, it's about 20 bucks for, for, for propping your uh, product.
1: <laughs> yeah, <So. laughs> just plug in. Yeah, plugging that in. That's really cool.
0: So uh, let's plug your stuff real quick. So where can we find your music again? Please plug Uh, it and spell your last name.
1: Yes. Yes, of course. You can find me on SoundCloud. I just posted a new track yesterday. So go check that out. Um, You can find me Andre and last name is M-A-G-A, uh, MAGA, L-H-A-E-S. And give me a follow and you can find me everywhere else on social media, uh, my personal and my music, basically under the same name. So yeah.
0: And we're going to be putting up your links on AshlandPodcast.com uh, today. So you, if you didn't catch all of that, you can go there. You can also – we have links that are up on our Facebook for Ashland. And I think we also plugged you on our Twitter. Yes. Uh, a couple of places to go to find uh, Andre. So please go there for our Twitter. That's AshlandPodcast across the board. You can find our podcast on uh, SoundCloud now, um, Spotify, uh, where iTunes, Stitcher, Stitcher. – yeah. So you can also just go directly to ashlandpodcast.com if you don't have any of those things and don't want to download another motherfucking app. <laughs> just go over the browser and type in ashlandpodcast.com. It goes right directly to the Libsyn link so you can listen to it that way. Yep. So do, do all those things. Do none of those things. Hopefully you're doing that because you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. And I don't know how existentialism works in your world, but there you go. <laughs> um do we have anything more to say about I think we've had a really thorough, fun conversation. I've learned a bunch of stuff today. Is there anything else we want to share about composers and film scoring? Anything that we want to say? No? No. Good.
1: I think we said, we said all of it.
0: <laughs> I've always enjoyed having you on. It's always been, it's been fun, like our, our new best friend. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. We'll be back to talk about some other stuff, too. But, uh, yeah, these have been enjoyable, enjoyable conversations. So I'm going to do my traditional – what is your self-care thing? I had my cousin on on Sunday. We talked about handmade style. What is a thing that you do when you get overwhelmed and things are like really bad? What, what is a, a thing that you do every single
1: time? If, it's, if I feel myself being overwhelmed or stressed about anything, it's mostly because I don't have enough sleep. Um, So, and I think I think the best thing you can do for yourself, especially if you have a lot of busy busy days, go to sleep before midnight. Definitely, like around ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, and you'll wake up completely refreshed. I accidentally one time went to sleep at eight p.m. and woke up at six a.m. and it's completely reset my internal clock, so I can't sleep past like eight a.m. anymore. Um, but it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me.
0: That's <laughs> awesome. That's good. Well, yeah, just go. How go okay, to sleep you earlier. accidentally went to. Sleep at eight. How did you accidentally go to sleep at eight?
1: It's probably because I pulled an all-nighter the night before and I was just absolutely exhausted. Yeah, you were tired. I don't recommend that. Uh, But yeah, just take care of yourself. Make sure you get enough sleep.
0: I think sleep is a huge thing. Drink water. I think it does. Yeah, yeah. Drink a lot of water and get a lot of sleep. But that's basically. The human body wasn't made to do all of these, like, you have to have coconut water. Well, if you didn't have coconut water where your people came from, you know, how is not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of things that we go, well, I need my kale smoothie and my and, – and that's great. I mm-hmm. think those things have some sort of psychological benefit to them. I think ultimately they're bullshit. But um, I think sleep and water, or I would have to say I would two biggest things to – and for me, it's just like not getting stressed out. Like yesterday, watching everybody lose their mind over what our president did in Helsinki. I just kind of sat back and went, that motherfucker. I didn't let it touch inside yeah. of me at <laughs> all. But I did see people on the Twitter like losing their mind. And I'm like, yeah, but we kind of knew this, right? Didn't we already know this? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I saw a lot of people, like, I could feel them just, like, losing it. And, like, what are we going to do? And, like, it's like, nah.
1: Yeah. It's going to be it's gonna be. And okay. if you're a part of that crowd, it's probably time to take a break. Social a media cleanse is good every once in a while.
0: I think so, too. Just turn it off. Really, you don't have to engage in the conversation. I mean, I have some of my favorites that are constantly just on Twitter. Like, I love Jeffrey Wright from Westworld. He's one of my favorite actors. I've been following him forever. But sometimes I'm like... And I know Jeffrey can handle himself. He's built for it. But I'm like go surfing and i think he does he just he gets on the surfboard and goes i can't hear you fuck off bye-bye uh like don Cheadle and a couple of other people i'm like y'all just need to get off of here for a minute i'm worried about y'all so if you're one of those people that feels like i'm just gonna go somebody just said something i have to respond you really don't you yeah. really don't have to respond at all
2: yeah i mean you know who needs to get off twitter is fucking ted Lou.
0: ted Lou is going to <laughs> You got to go fight this dragon. What are you taking all these breaks? I guess it, it I mean but our Twitter I, I our need, president does live
2: on Twitter. I need though. my congressman to work and to get off of Twitter.
0: I I agree, but our our idiot, you know, you know, Russian fucking president is on Twitter. So I feel like he's like I can I, I can meet you right here. So That's
1: another form that's of self-care, too. blocking the president of the United States on Twitter. You
0: can block <laughs> the president of the United States. Um, I just – I don't follow him enough of fools. The thing that I did for the longest time, and I just recently uh, douched all these accounts. I followed the far right and a bunch of Nazis for the longest time because I just wanted to see what they had to say. Um, and I just felt like it was just, okay, I get it. Yeah, down with down with everybody who's not white. I get it. Y'all say the same fucking things over and over again. And they just they make out and out blatant lies. So that I, think, I didn't realize how much it was affecting me until I just like got rid of them. And then it was like, oh, oh, that feels better. Yeah. I don't have to hear the N-word 24 times a day. That's pretty cool. So stop following Nazis. That's what, probably my biggest <laughs> tip today. Stop following the all right, Endure Stormer and all those guys. Just it. Give it a rest. All right. We're going to take on up out of here. We're going to be talking to Andre very soon about something, I'm sure, because we love having him on. And uh, you guys just have a lovely, lovely day and evening. Yeah. Peace.
2: Peace. Peace.